Hello and welcome to DigFinVox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, give us a like, share, subscribe, get that algorithm to work. My guests today are Ray Wyant and Victor Lang, co-founders of Genie, a Hong Kong fintech that has been through a number of business iterations. I spoke with Ray and Vic about pivoting, the thought process behind how to change, how to work with investors, how to find a moat, how to find success as a fintech in today's challenging environment. Ray Wyand and Victor Lang, welcome to DigFinVox. Thanks, Thank good to be here. So why don't we start with a, a, a quick background. You you started off as a B2C uh, consumer-facing finance app. You've been through a couple iterations. Uh, let's talk about that B2C part first, what you're trying to achieve and why it was hard. Yeah, I, I, we always started as a kind of open banking play. So when we first started, I think Norman Chan, the HKMA head had said, imagine the ease and convenience of your kind of whole financial life in one app. And there was a whole big move in Asia and Europe and the US towards this. And it's all a kind of financial transparency play. I think we were probably the first people to kind of push into that. Um, and it, it's kind of established that you start B2C, you partner with financial institutions, you bolt things on. This is what Tink did, Plaid in the US. Um, so it's kind of gradual evolution. Um, and, and, and it was hard, actually. I think there's a... a you know, uh, Y Combinator quote from Paul Graham, who said, like, when a, a good team meets a, a bad market, the, the market wins. Okay. Um, and I think what we found is that, um, you know, in, in Hong Kong, the, the main story of fintech is is people struggling to scale. Mm. And I think we were one of the people who you get the initial wins, the initial traction, and then you struggle to scale. And unless there was a lot of regulatory headwind to kind of support us, we were partnering with some banks, but not huge money. And when I say huge money, you know, the benchmark is you're going to IPO at like 200 million US dollars a year revenue, right? So, you know, you can make 250,000 and it, it's fine, but it's not anywhere near enough, right? Right. Um, and we found ourselves in that kind of death zone that I think, sums up bulk of the Hong Kong fintech market and all of Asia where you, you just can't get to that next level. Um, and actually Victor had a lot of experience as an investor before um, in, in the US. And he was one of the people who was always saying to me, like, it's not enough. You, you gotta get to that next level. It's not enough. Yeah, I mean like the- Yeah, the, well, yeah the, just curious, Victor, what was that conversation like? Where was the point where you realized that it just wasn't working and you guys had to do something? Well, I mean, our B2C app was free, right? And it was always meant to be free. So the B2B play with the banking and finance institutions was always the, the, uh, in the plan. But when it came to actually trying to sell to financial institutions, you know, it was actually surprising of just um, how small the wallets were. Mm -hmm. And it became very apparent that, especially in um, the Hong Kong market, it was not going to be big enough. There's just not enough customers here. So, um, you know, we decided that we had to either, you know, start looking for customers in other markets 
and um, or find a product that had wide appeal, mass appeal, right? And you know, when we were having this conversation, it was really about you know how can we shorten the sales cycle, you know, how can we um, be the best at what we do globally, right? Mm -hmm. How can we um, you know build something that is like that we can test um, in a simple you know, continuous way so that we can get to the product part market fit that we need. You know, our, amb our ambition has always been to be a high growth, big, like a large revenue earning startup, right? And it became apparent that the, if we were to stay in that direction, we would just be at best like an SME, right? And that would be a disappointment to our investors. It would have been a disappointment to us. So we've always been very good at experimentation. You know, we've never been attached to the things that we've built, right? Mm -hmm. We're willing to try new things. I think we're one of the, the best at that. And so we continue to iterate, we continue to build until we got to something where we thought hit those criteria that I had just mentioned. So going back there, Victor, so you were outlining a couple of things that you're trying to do to turn things around in your original incarnation and they all sound pretty sensible uh you know reduce time to market for sales uh be the best you can broaden the market how realistic were those you know can you take um a good idea but perhaps a rough market as ray said and can you kind of forge your own destiny or do you have to say okay well even if we do these things it's not enough and therefore we have to make a much more fundamental change well, I think at the very core, we were always about transaction data and financial transparency, right? That has from day one been our like our 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 core like belief that what the business should be. So within those parameters, we started to really think about where we can continue to leverage our understanding and our skills, right? Yeah, certainly some code has to be thrown away. That's the reality of all technology startups, right? But within the parameters of, you know, transaction data, within the parameters of um, transparency, data sharing, APIs, right? These are all the things that we were experts at. So there was a period of experimentation, right? We were looking at different data sources. How can we get as much data access to markets using specific, you know, data sources as possible, right? That's how we ended up with, um, you know, transactional data for SMEs, right? As opposed to going market to market, you know, hitting up banks, trying to build one-on-one -on -one APIs, right? So within the framework that I just mentioned, there has to be some give and take, but overall we've stayed true to our original mission. How did you find something that would generate meaningful revenue and not just keep you capped at being just a, a bog standard SME? I think for us, it was important to be an international market I think that was one of the first things. I mean, I've touched on it before that, you know, if you add up the wallet size of all of the financial institutions in Hong Kong, it's just not enough. Mm -hmm. There are some areas, maybe private wealth, but even then it's not a huge one. So, you know, it's a small place. Um, in Israel, they've been really good at building startups that you would never know were Israeli. Big SaaS companies that sell in America, but they're founded in Israel. So we looked at, it has to be a global market. Right. Absolutely has to be. No more localization, no more going country by country. We did that. It's too hard to scale. 
Um, it's too expensive to scale. Um, and it has to be something where the wallet is big. There's a lot of money to spend on the problem from a large number of people. Yeah, we'll get to that solution in a minute. But, uh, you know, the you know, the Israeli example, many of those companies, most of those startups, as you say, from they are built from day one to sell globally. They don't sell yeah. to Israel, right? They don't try to sell to Israeli clients. It's, it's irrelevant. Um, but is that possible in fintech? Because fintech is so locally regulated and licensed. Uh, so how do you get around that day one global problem when you're dealing in finance? Good, good question. I'll let Victor handle that because that's a hard <laughs> one. Well, well, I think what we came up with very early on was that we need access to data that's global, right? Like we can't rely on specific jurisdictions and specific banks. And that's where we ended up on accounting data, right? By being able to access, you know, things like QuickBooks, Zero, NetSuite, right? These are tools that are being used globally. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just a Hong Kong thing or a US thing, you know, NetSuite, QuickBooks, Zero, these are global tools. So by being able to tap into those data sources gave us access to bigger markets and, and uh, global the global market, right? It wasn't just about being able to go to the US or target Australia and New Zealand, but you know, we at the very, very beginning of starting to rethink what our direction, we thought it's number one has to be about the data, right? If we're fighting country by country, you know, county by county, you know, it's gonna be a slog. Where can we get as much scale as possible from day one? Um, so then let's go into what you guys are actually hit on. What what is the the new genie all about? It's unfortunately it's, it's surprisingly similar to the old one. But as Victor said, we took, um, you know, we used to take data from Hong Kong banks, give it to people to analyze for themselves, make better decisions. Um, so we ripped out the banks because, again, country by country, hard, highly regulated, went for accounting data. So QuickBooks, Zero, you know, NetSuite, things like that, adding things like Stripe into that. So your media, you're in the sort of business sector. To be honest, you could have looked at, at consumer, but again, consumers don't t tend to have um, data in non-banks, effectively. Um, then it was kind of, okay, who's going to pay? Where's the pain point the, the most? So we spoke to people who tried things. We spoke to founders. We spoke to finance departments. Where does financial transparency add the most value? We got a lucky win, which was, as we were doing this and selling, the US market suddenly started to get hit by fraud, expense mismanagement. You know, we see all of these headlines. Mm -hmm. And you know, they had a front page of the Financial Times saying investors don't have enough transparency on the companies that they invest in. You know, this is like everyone is saying it. Um, we didn't find our first clients, they found us. They just said, like, hey, um, can I use this to look at our portfolio companies and they did um and we just followed that uh, we just kept adding more clients i think we've got you know four to five largest vcs in hong kong use our product um others in the us europe um you know it's it was just a kind of a natural progression of where the technology was but you know, from an engineering standpoint, the weird thing is it really was just like you're taking one data source out and you're putting another in and you're keeping a lot of the 
the same expertise, the same rules, everything. Um, you know, slightly different perspective on what you're looking for, but you know, once you know how financial data works, it's it's fairly transferable. The the interesting thing about sorry, Victor. Yeah, I was just going to say the interesting thing about this market working with investors is that the the opportunity is 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 quite open because the investor um, data kind of market has not changed in like 20 years. You know, you're still dealing with people who are emailing Excel spreadsheets around, right? And then when you're talking about fraud, when you're talking about transparency, you know, there is really a lot of opportunities. Most of them, most of the competitors that we have are driven by the founders level, right? So you still lack a lot of that transparency because it's still at the desire of the founder to share data. You know, by being able to, you know, sync data in real time between startups and investors, which is what we offer, it's opened a new wide opportunity um, for the, the market. And a lot of investors say to us, oh, well, startups share the data with us. You know, they don't really like to send us data. You know, of course, they don't like to send you data. But the truth is that the, on the debt side, Startups and, and entrepreneurs have been sharing their transaction data, their, their credit card data, their marketing data to providers like Pipe.com and Wayflyer for years, right? It doesn't make really any sense why someone who is like in, in a relationship with you for the better part of a decade has less transparency than someone who is at best a spring fling, right? You know, some of these debt providers. So, you know, what, what we're looking at is actually... Um, not that innovative on the debt side, but bringing it to the equity side is something that is a really interesting and, and open opportunity. And as an investor in the past, um, it's it's an acute problem. My last startup, I was an investor, um, and we had huge cash flow problems. You know, the founders would come to us and say, you know, we're we're running out of cash next week, and they would hold you know, entrepreneur, or hold the investors hostage and say, you have to recapitalize. Otherwise, all your investment is basically, you know, done for, right? And this is something that we see a lot now. And my experience with it really, I have a lot of empathy for that, right? If there was more data transparency, if there was, you know, now we've got AI tool, tools that do forecasting. If we all had all that for the investor level, there'd be way less, you know, insolvency. There'd be less last minutes, you know, capital calls. There'd be a lot more trust between founders and entrepreneurs. So this is something that I really believe in and something that I have experienced in firsthand. Wanted to ask with, um, let's talk about that relationship with your own investors. Throughout this journey, when you're iterating different ideas about Genie, what is appropriate to ask a VC for, that's your investor to help and what is not like? When is it? When is it a good time, and when is it not a good time to to reach out to the investor base, uh, the GPs investing in you? Um, it depends what you're asking for. Right. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you know, the corollary is what's the ask? Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, I. I think most VCs are quite supportive, um, especially when they've already invested in the company. And I. I think generally we've worked with them, even when they haven't. You know, invested in us in the past. I don't think anyone usually wishes ill on you when mm -hmm. they give feedback. They're they're trying to help. They're busy and they're overwhelmed. Um, 
I think one thing that we worked out, it says a lot of manual processes, the investment process is, is, is quite time consuming. We're just trying to automate one part of it to make it more efficient. There is always this part of like, are they telling us the truth? One thing we found is that board meetings, if you're a, a startup like us, they can get derailed really quickly if there's any surprises. And often founder wants to go in and pitch their big vision and say, hey, I would love more money and do this. Mm-hmm. And the board meeting, they actually want to go through where did the money go in the past? Right. And a common complaint is we didn't have enough context before the meeting. There's questions get asked, it gets derailed. Right. And I think that's every founder VC has 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 been there. Um, but in this market, it's difficult. I think that generally um, when multiples are very high, you can be quite inefficient and you can spend a lot of money scaling in a pretty inefficient way. If you spend $4 of investment to make $1 of revenue, that works if it's a 30, 40 times public market revenue multiple, right? It still works. It sounds crazy. You're spending $4 million to make a million, but you know, that 1 million is worth 30 million in the public market. So who's to argue? When it's now, I think asking for resources, unless you can show real efficiency and a more scalable growth plan is is difficult. We were always conscious about scaling too much too early. And we were happy because we were able to draw money out. And we were always saying like, look, it's not working. We need to try this, we're trying this way. If we had gone the other route and spent all of our money in a huge blitz scaling thing, gone after the thing, blown yourself up and then so now it doesn't work. That's that's tough. Um, and you know, Vic and I always say we're we're the largest shareholders of business. We're only lying to ourselves. Like you know, you can go and say it's working if you don't think it isn't. But if you're the largest shareholder, like it doesn't help you at the end, you know. <laughs> Um, and you know, I think that's been, yeah, you know, we got, we were lucky because we got a break because the market moved on our favor and started to pull our product in a, in a good direction. But, you know, we could have also, you know, if we were too aggressive too early. I think that would have really been painful with the investor conversation. Yeah. Where do you find yourself now in terms of your, let's say your moat, you've, you've hit upon a solution, you're selling data to provide transparency to VC firms about their portfolio businesses. Uh, Victor, you enunciated the the benefits this should have for both sides uh, to to make those relationships smoother and and more trustworthy. Uh, But is this something that anybody else can just say, oh, great idea. I'll I'll just, you know, purchase the same data feeds and boom, you know, maybe I'm sitting in Silicon Valley. I've got all these American networks, bigger play, and I can just, you know, I can just usurp what you guys have done. So how do you protect your... Your business model. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I I can say as someone who's quite close to product, it, it's harder than it's harder than we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes people say like, oh, we're going to do this ourselves. I'm like, yeah, go for it. Um, we've analyzed 700 companies now. They're all different. Mm-hmm. So every single time we see something for the first time, you you add things, you iterate things. We've identified frauds now for the first time. Um, you know, not huge. Most founders have a lot of integrity and in that you can see they're doing their best, but there are things which you see and you identify them. Unless you have the data, it's it's hard to get started. It was it, there's a there's a, a thing of like when you look at the company for the first time, 
you know, we're looking at transaction level. You're like, okay, like, is this good? Is this bad? What's the reference point? Um, now able to offer due diligence reports to investors in an automated way, partnering with more fractional CFOs who are offering the same services, um, even to startups, simply because we've got a scale of data. Mm-hmm. And, and we've been building more and more technology around that to know what to look for. I think that's the, the once once you know what to look for and you need some scale to do that and some time, some expertise, um, it starts to move more quickly. The very beginning is a bit brutal, um, you, you know, and it's the age old thing like uh, like people who have credit models have the same problem until someone defaults. How do you build a credit model? Hmm. Like what what causes it? Right. Um, and I think that's that's ultimately the moat that we're we're building is is and it has always been the moat for you know, our vision of like once you build the data and the analytics and the expertise, you know whatever the front end is, is you know that people can replicate that, but it's it's quite tough to to replicate some of this stuff. Yeah. Okay. And where are you guys going to take this? I mean, are you at the point yet where you can say, okay, we're we're a 200 million revenue business. Uh, you know, what, what's the journey to get to that, uh, that goal? I wish we were 200 million dollars uh, in revenue. Uh, yeah. But I guess, you know, I, I think that's, you know, obviously that'd be amazing if we had, because we only launched this product like six months ago, to be honest. Um, and um, our revenues are, are, are strong and we're growing quite quickly. But I think where we want to take this is that we believe that Genie can be the Bloomberg for private markets, right? In the same way that, you know, hedge funds, public investors um, can go into a Bloomberg terminal and just start looking up the finances of a company and get kind of data on a real-time basis or at least, you know, quarterly or or whatnot, but, it, but certainly complete sets of data, you know, we believe that we can do the same thing for private markets, right? So when right now, you know, as a, or in the early stage, uh, we ourselves were targeting early stage VCs and early stage startups because these are early adopters, right? But I do believe, you know, we work, some of our customers are private equity companies and there is an opening and a gap that even goes to the, to the highest levels of private equity, right? The interesting thing that I found is that actually, at the venture level, um, they're only starting to just look at data as a mechanism for making investments, for monitoring, right? But actually in private equity, you know, they've been using data for years to improve not just their investments, but to um, make better acquisitions. So having these data feeds, I believe can it's not just like a QuickBooks and a zero thing. You're talking about NetSuite and Oracle and, you know, the rest of the the vertical of, you know, accounting and ERP softwares that can transcend the early stage going into, you know, later stage and even corporate level kind of entities, right? So I think that's where we believe we can take this business. And uh, that's our path to being, um, one of our paths to being a $200 million company. Great. Okay. Well, um, gents, uh, we're nearing the end of our time. Very fascinating. Uh, just let's wrap up. What's going to be the next milestones for the rest of 2023? For us, we're expanding in America. 
um, which is, you know, that's that's the big focus for us. Um, and we've already started to sign up our, our first VCs in America and start doing the first first deals. And I think if we can really solidify that and keep growing the rate we're, we're growing, I think we're going to you know, quadruple the size of our business. And, you know, I think we'll be hitting all the milestones we need to do to fundraise if we need. But but frankly, we're, we're kind of reaching that point where the business kind of takes itself on its own trajectory. Um, and and the good thing for us is that fundraising is a lot easier because our sales cycle and our investing roadshow cycle are exactly the same. It's the right. unique position of having VCs as your clients. Yeah. And we talked about going global uh, from Hong Kong. What has been the biggest challenge of trying to be a global business from here? Time zone. By, by far. I think that's the, I mean, Victor was up at 4.30 in the morning today doing calls and that's not a that's a quite a regular occurrence from us which is why we look very tired on on this <laughs> um yeah. overwhelmingly it's the geography that plays against you here and and i think that's been a big problem actually for a lot of asian startups like if you're in london expanding to asia opening an asia office opening a u.s office it's actually it's not too unmanageable you want to open a u.s office and you base here someone's going to speak at night um and it's you know it's remote work is hard to manage already but when you have that i think it's a that's by far the biggest obstacle i think okay Rick, so, i don't know if you agree but yeah yeah i mean it's certainly a huge obstacle but you know i've become a morning person what can i say <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I guess at some point then you'll have to, you know, somebody has to have somebody trusted on the ground in North America or at least the UK or someplace like that. I guess at some point, I, I, do you have that sort of in your, in your plan? Yeah, I think, I think that's going to be like opening US offices is definitely a part of this year's plan. I think we're just trying to figure out exactly how to do it. You want your first people to be real champions of, of what you do. Um, and we're getting the first clients done, just ourselves done the hard way, so we know what the playbook is. Uh, Ray and uh, Vic, thank you so much for joining me on Digfin Vox. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us.